Welcome to the December 17th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will learn more about T-cells from SARS-CoV-2 infected individuals, review a study that describes the rapid clinical and histologic response to anti-PD-1 first-line therapy in early-stage unfavorable Hodgkin lymphoma, and discuss a meta-analysis and systematic review of outcomes of patients with hematologic malignancies and COVID-19. Our first topic is a study entitled SARS-CoV-2-Specific T-Cells are Rapidly Expanded for Therapeutic Use and Target Conserved Regions of the Membrane Protein by Michael Keller, Katherine Harris, and Katherine Bollard from Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., and their colleagues. The adaptive immune response to SARS-CoV-2 remains ill-defined, and there is an urgent need to fill this knowledge gap in order to enable the development of effective vaccines and therapies. Studies of the related viruses, SARS-CoV, as well as MERS-CoV, have demonstrated that T-cells recognizing viral epitopes were integral in clearance of these viruses and remained detectable for years after exposure. In the case of SARS-CoV-2, antibody responses to the spike and nucleocapsid proteins are well described. However, the persistence of antibody is unclear. Recently, the characterization of T-cell responses, predominantly to spike, membrane, and nucleocapsid proteins of the virus, have also been reported. Both CD4-positive and CD8-positive T-cell responses to SARS-CoV-2 are detectable in convalescent patients as well as in a proportion of unexposed individuals, albeit at lower levels. Knowledge of T-cell epitopes in other viruses, such as EBV, CMV, and adenovirus, has successfully led to the development of adoptive immunotherapy with ex vivo expanded virus-specific T-cells. This approach has been highly successful in preventing or treating viral infections in high-risk patients after bone marrow transplant with minimal risk of graft-versus-host disease. The expansion of virus-specific cells in vivo correlates strongly with antiviral efficacy. Therefore, the expansion of such approaches to include SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cells may offer protection from COVID-19 in such vulnerable individuals. In this report, Keller and colleagues described the isolation and expansion of SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cells from 46 convalescent donors, most of whom had mild disease. They effectively generated SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cells from 58% of donors, including from 26 of 33 individuals with, as well as 5 of 12 subjects without, detectable antibody responses. They also were able to generate SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cells from 2 of 15 unexposed donors. More specifically, the investigators demonstrated SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cells could recognize immunodominant viral epitopes in conserved regions of membrane, spike, and nucleocapsid proteins. Following in vitro expansion using a good manufacturing practice-compliant methodology designed to allow the rapid translation of this novel SARS-CoV-2 T-cell therapy to the clinic, Membrane, spike, and nucleocapsid peptides elicited interferon gamma and tumor necrosis factor alpha production in CD4-positive specific T-cells from 59, 
26 and 22% of convalescent donors respectively, as well as from the two unexposed controls. They identified multiple immunodominant T-cell epitopes within a highly conserved region of the membrane protein, which represent class II restricted T-cell epitope hotspots. Polyfunctional T-cell responses against these regions may not only be critical for antiviral immunity against SARS-CoV-2, but also possibly against other respiratory viruses. Their observation of cross-reactivity with SARS-CoV-2 variant epitopes also suggests that T-cell responses against these regions may yield protection against circulating viral strains with these mutations. Taken together, these data suggest that coronavirus-specific T-cells derived, for example, from an allogeneic donor may be an effective preventative therapy for patients undergoing hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. For patients who lack a donor with immunity to COVID-19, the administration of partially HLA-matched third-party coronavirus-specific T-cells may be a consideration as an on-demand treatment of COVID-19 early in the course of infection, with the goal to reduce the length and severity of illness. As the authors point out, however, the development of a potent off-the-shelf virus-specific T-cell therapy requires extensive characterization of the T-cell products to discover the epitope specificity and HLA restrictions of the virus-specific T-cells to ensure optimal matching between the virus-specific T-cell donor and the recipient. In her accompanying commentary, Susan Prokop from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center indicates that complicated questions remain, including whether adoptive transfer of SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cells will need to occur early after infection before a maladaptive immune response is established, and more broadly, which patients will in fact need adoptive T-cell therapy. She concludes by reiterating the need for clinical trials to determine whether adoptive transfer of SARS-CoV-2-specific populations of well-characterized T-cells will prevent or treat COVID-19. Such questions will be facilitated by the availability of these new therapeutic options in the ongoing global pandemic. Our next study is entitled Tumor and Microenvironment Response But No Cytotoxic T-Cell Activation in Classic Hodgkin Lymphoma Treated with Anti-PD-1 by Sarah Reinke and Wolfram Clapper from the University Hospital Schleswig-Holstein Kiel, Paul Brockelmann from the University of Cologne in Germany, and colleagues. Classic Hodgkin Lymphoma is a B-cell lymphoma with unique features. Histologically, it is characterized by rare Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells surrounded by an inflammatory tumor microenvironment, or TME. The TME contains a variety of cell types, including CD4-positive T-cells, tumor-associated macrophages, or TAMs, eosinophils, B-cells, plasma cells, and stromal cells. Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells can influence the TME to subvert host immune surveillance by downregulating major histocompatibility complex class I expression, thereby avoiding recognition and killing by effector T-cells. This crosstalk with the TME is critical for the survival of Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells. The vast majority of Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells overexpress PD-L1 due to genetic alterations. Classic Hodgkin lymphoma is the cancer type most susceptible to anti-programmed death receptor, or PD-1, treatment. While in solid tumors, anti-PD-1 effects appear largely mediated by cytotoxic CD8-positive T-cells, 
Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells frequently lack major histocompatibility complex expression, and the mechanism of anti-PD-1 activity is unclear. To date, most clinical experience with anti-PD-1 monotherapy has been generated in the approved indication of relapsed refractory Hodgkin lymphoma. However, complete or durable remissions are rarely observed in this setting. Recently, anti-PD-1-based first-line treatment with nivolumab in combination with doxorubicin, vinblastin, and decarbazine chemotherapy showed excellent efficacy in the early-stage unfavorable Hodgkin lymphoma phase 2 NIVAHL trial by the German Hodgkin Study Group. To investigate the mechanisms underlying this very early response to anti-PD-1 treatment, the investigators analyzed paired biopsies and blood samples obtained from patients before and during the first days of nivolumab therapy. The investigators found that the disappearance of Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells from tissue biopsies mirrored the rapid clinical responses observed within days after the administration of nivolumab. In addition, the TME showed a reduction of both CD4-positive, LAG3-positive regulatory T, or TR1T cells, and PD-L1-positive TAMs already at this early treatment time point. The depletion of TR1 cells and TAMs was particularly prominent in the immediate vicinity surrounding the few remaining Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells. Notably, neither a cytotoxic immune response nor a clonal T-cell expansion was observed in the tumors or peripheral blood. Therefore, expansion or recruitment of cytotoxic T-cells does not seem to be required for the striking early efficacy of anti-PD-1 therapy in classic Hodgkin lymphoma, which contrasts previous observations made in various solid tumors. Interestingly, these early changes of the TME were distinct from alterations found in a separate set of Hodgkin lymphoma biopsies at relapse during anti-PD-1 therapy. In these samples, significant numbers of Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells persisted after anti-PD-1 therapy. In their accompanying commentary, Sharon Yunus and Yaso Natkinem from Stanford University School of Medicine point out that the lack of cytotoxicity with anti-PD-1 therapy in the upfront setting suggests that the observed clinical and histologic response are most likely due to the withdrawal of pro-inflammatory factors that are important for the survival of Hodgkin-Reed-Sternberg cells and the preservation of its tumor microenvironment. They also indicate that the treatment-naive Hodgkin lymphoma TME is fundamentally different from that of the refractory relapsed setting where subclones may have emerged that have acquired the capacity to remodel their TME differently and or are less addicted to an altered TME for survival. The lack of an effector T-cell response raises the critical question of why withdrawal of survival factors appears to dominate first-line inhibition of the PD-1-PDL1 axis. Answering this question will require further investigation of larger cohorts of classic Hodgkin lymphoma patients receiving first-line immune checkpoint blockade therapy. Our final topic today is a report entitled Outcomes of Patients with Hematologic Malignancies and COVID-19, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of 3,377 Patients, by Abby Vijanthira from the Princess Margaret Cancer Center and Lisa Hicks from St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, Ontario, and international colleagues. 
While there is substantial literature on the management of cancer patients who become infected with COVID-19, to date there is no systematic review or meta-analysis focused on patients with hematologic malignancies who become infected with COVID-19. Patients with hematologic malignancies are immunocompromised due to their underlying disease, as well as treatments they receive, causing significant concern for the risk of heightened morbidity and mortality from COVID-19. Yet some researchers have suggested that patients with hematologic malignancies might be protected from severe COVID-19 morbidity due to an attenuated inflammatory response. Cohort and registry studies have emerged to try to answer these critical questions, including the COVID-19 and Cancer Consortium, the UK Coronavirus Cancer Monitoring Project, and the American Society of Hematology Collaborative. However, given the currently limited data on these patients, aggregating data to obtain more precise estimates of risks related to COVID-19 is essential to inform current and future clinical decision-making. To better address this question, the authors performed a systematic review and meta-analysis to quantify the risk of death and other important outcomes of patients with hematologic malignancies and COVID-19. Data considered for inclusion were derived from all studies published since January 1, 2019, on outcomes of patients with cancer and COVID-19. Additionally, only studies providing data on patients with hematologic malignancies, including bone marrow failure syndromes such as myelodysplastic syndromes, acute leukemias, lymphomas, plasma cell dyscrasias, and myeloproliferative neoplasms were included. Reports with fewer than 10 patients were excluded. A total of 34 adult studies and five pediatric studies comprising 3,377 patients from Asia, Europe, and North America were used in the analysis. The pooled risk of mortality in all adult patients was 34%, while it was 39% when limited to hospitalized patients alone. Patients aged 60 years or greater had significantly higher risk of death than patients less than 60, 47% versus 25%, which equates to a relative risk of 1.82. The risk of death in pediatric patients was only 4%, highlighting that age is strongly associated with mortality. A subgroup analysis based on race using data from five studies found that non-white patients had a significantly higher risk of death compared to white patients with a relative risk of 2.2. Patients on systemic anti-cancer therapy had a similar risk of death compared to patients with no treatment, with a relative risk of 1.17. These data suggest that among patients who require urgent treatment of a hematologic malignancy, treatment should not be routinely withheld due to fear of excess mortality from COVID-19. The study authors cite several limitations in their analysis, including the possibility of duplicate patients across study data analyzed, significant heterogeneity that was observed in many of the reported estimates of mortality, the possibility that mortality may be overestimated due to the included cohort studies being enriched with hospitalized patients with frequent medical visits, and lastly, the fact that mortality reported in the studies was assumed to be related to the diagnosis of COVID-19, given the short interval follow-up and highest risk of death from COVID-19 within weeks of diagnosis. Focusing on the estimated risk of death, the adult mortality rate reported in this meta-analysis appears substantially higher than in patients with solid tumors or in the general population. However, 
the majority, or 77%, of the patients in this study were hospitalized. In cohort studies exclusively of hospitalized patients with cancer, the mortality rate ranges from 19% to 42% in patients with solid tumors. Therefore, the 39% risk of death in hospitalized patients with hematologic malignancies reported in the current study is comparable to hospitalized patients with solid tumors, but still remains substantially higher than in the general population. To ascertain the true risk of mortality among all patients with hematologic malignancies and COVID-19, including all outpatients, it will be important for studies to collect data on an unselected population of patients. In the accompanying commentary by Mikhail Sequeres from the University of Miami, he notes the challenges of coming of age professionally when there is no gold standard or evidence-based practice for treating COVID-19 patients, particularly those with comorbidities. While this meta-analysis does inform clinicians as to the risk of death in this specific patient population, evidence-based prevention strategies such as infection control measures, physical distancing, and appropriate shielding should be emphasized for these patients and the units where they receive care. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.